Welcome to the Stories or Soul Food Podcast, presented by Canon Press and Great Homeschool Conventions. So yes, we're here with special guest Remy Wilkins. Remy is special. Special, yes. But along with being special, <laughs> he's also a guest <laughs> in a variety of ways. <laughs> along with being a special, he's a guest. Uh, Remy is the author of Strays and the forthcoming book Hush Hush, both with Cannonball Books, and then also The Adventures of Olo Newt. Yes, just live on Amazon. Yeah, just recently published on Amazon. And uh, well, welcome, Remy. Which we refuse to promote, so scratch that. That's right. Yeah, cut it. Yeah. <laughs> Cut that reference. <laughs> Forget you heard anything about it. It's not finished either. I hear it releases seria- serially. Serially. Yeah. Mm, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Who would do such a thing? <laughs> <laughs> Haven't been heard here. Well, uh, Remy, we always start out with the question, when did you decide that you wanted to become an author? Side note, I didn't know we always started with that. Uh, yeah. I, but I, go I, ahead. I, answer yeah. the question. Okay. Well, we started well, was, with that for the Kearns, so. I think I was... Uh, 16, when I figured out that when I said that, adults would make a very flattering face or sound. Like, oh. <laughs> and I liked that. So I kept saying that until I felt bad about not writing. So, that's, <laughs> so you eventually guilted yourself into that's writing. Right. I've told enough people. That's generally my, my process is just tell people I'm doing something and then feel bad. That take wit- take witnesses until you're guilty for that's not right. having done it. And I wrote little stories on lined paper with pencil. Are we being filmed, by the way? Sorry for interrupting, <laughs> but I'm staring into a camera lens wondering. I was not informed of any such thing. I have not signed a waiver. Let it be known. Right. I have not signed a waiver. I came in here last time with a pink uh, shirt with talk or a cacti on it. And then they started taking pictures of me, which uh, <laughs> not happy uh, with It's that. a party foul for sure. So listeners, if you're actually watching this, just know it's a bootleg copy. <laughs> it's pirated. This is not our, okay. We have not licensed our, <laughs> our not likenesses. That's right. So anyway, you, f- you make yourself feel guilty. That's your personal lever of well, that was that was the initial trigger. I yeah. do actually enjoy it now. I enjoyed it before writing my little stories and it's about Space Boys. I think that was the title, Space Boys. Right. Uh, of something that was online paper and has uh, thankfully not been preserved. About two friends, Jeff and Elon. <laughs> and a third out. No recollection Richard. of any of it. So. And a 10 minute flight they would never forget. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably Giggle- Gilligan's Island transposed to outer space. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Almost certainly. Awesome. Okay. Uh, space boys. So we have an interesting journey into wanting to be a writer. What triggered that initial comment you would make when you would tell adults i want to be a writer and they would give you that flattery face yeah i don't know i i guess dad always read stories to us and i did write these little little stories with my brother so you know it's one of those things when you're a kid you know about whatever your dad does you know firemen and policemen and that's pretty much it and i realized i needed to grasp something different my brother started telling people he wanted to be a garbage man just because they get to hang off the truck. Right. And I didn't want to go with that answer either. So that's... Because you hated hanging off of trucks. Well, I, yeah. I just <laughs> knew I didn't want to deal with the garbage <laughs> end of the thing. So More foresightful than your brother. That's right. That's right. Well, okay. So one of the, the topic for today 
One of the things that I enjoy, especially about Remy's books, is if you look at the cover of, say, Strays, you pull it up, you got a kid with the baseball bat in the middle of about 100 demons. And that makes it always a bit tricky to sell at the conferences. Because <laughs> I hold about it. About 100. If it was 90. <laughs> yeah. Too excessive. Yeah. Excessive number of demons. Anyways, you hold it up to a mom at a conference and the mom says, what's this book about? And then she says, and then you say, well, it's about a kid who fights off a demonic invasion. And right away, you sound like, you sound, you sound, you, you feel like you have to justify it, or in my case, you don't. But then, same, same sort of, same sort of thing. I'll hold that book up to an eight to 10 year old, and the eight to 10 year old right away doesn't ask any questions. They want the book. That's right. So, well, that's why I say, Forrest Dickinson did this book and I just wrote the inside. That's a, it's a great cover. <laughs> great cover. <laughs> that's fun. So the question is, you write some scary stuff. And I think we're also here with Nate, who also has written some scary stuff. I get comments uh, about, about some of Nate's books. I can neither confirm nor deny yeah. the fact that I have written scary stuff. Yeah, I'm just taking over right now and saying they both write scary things. Why, Remy, did you decide to write scary things in your books? Yeah, for I, children. For children. Yeah, that's the bigger deal. It is it strays ages eight to fourteen, middle grade fiction. I yeah, clearly I didn't think about the market for uh, before I wrote these things. I just these were the stories that I that I had. I, yeah, I was not a big horror movie guy. I still don't watch horror movies. I never read Stephen King outside of his book on writing. But I but I did realize it, it's a it's a funny thing. Fear. Uh, there's no parental guidance for training your children in what fear is, where to direct it, um, how to view it. It's one of those things we default to the, uh, the world and we just kind of modify it. We just think, oh, we'll let the world teach my children what to fear, who to fear, and then parents will, will just come in later and tweak it. And how to respond to fear. Yeah. And I, I don't really want the world teaching my kids anything. Uh, so I, uh, that was one of those things I realized as I started in on this. Um, what, what do we want our children to be fearful of? And then how to address that fear, how to respond to it. Uh, and, and again, I, obviously the fear not is a major component of the gospel story. So that's, those were the, some of the, the things I was thinking of as, uh, as I was working on this book. I think you, you also, in those settings, like th think about the fact that every single kid ever has been scared. Right. Every single kid knows what fear is and they've been afraid and they've been afraid of stupid things and they've been afraid of things they should be afraid of. Right. And parents are always trying to place fear in the right place. They're, they're trying to position fear correctly. Stranger danger. Don't run in streets, you know. Right. We try, we try to ingrain in our kids where fear ought to go, where is the correct place for fear. And then we try to find ways to embolden them right. uh, in those areas where they should not be afraid. One of the striking things when, when I had uh, my, my uh, first son, you know how you get down on your knees and growl and you maybe charge just to test how well they run down a hall, that sort of thing. I realized when uh, my son was backed into a corner no matter how scared he was with me growling and charging him, he would always run to me. Right. So even though I was the scary one, I yep. was the source, he also knew I'm the one that would protect him. And uh, it, it was kind of a striking, striking image to me to see him dealing with that, uh, knowing where to go, 
even though I was at that moment the source of fear. If you think think back to childhood and being that kid chased, we all know that there's a, a very particular fear running up the stairs with somebody chasing you, grabbing at your feet. Yeah. That is a very unique kind of giggly terror. Right. Right. You know, you're as, always as, laughing. As somebody's grabbing at your ankles or in hide and seek when you are hidden and the babysitter or dad, preferably not another kid, because you're not scared when it's another kid looking right. for you. But yeah. Yeah. the babysitter or dad is looking for you and you are holding your breath and trying to be silent and finally you just can't bear it and you're like, I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> like, yeah. I Stop can't. looking yeah. for me. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. And when you're really little or that, that youngest sibling who cannot bear it, they cannot right. bear to remain hidden. And they the older make kids sounds are, nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. And the older, the older kid is, is frustrated because the younger kid is, is still in that place where their, their fear is peaking on the meter in that kind of situation. We want to play tag. We want to play hide and seek. We want dad to chase us down the hall, up the stairs. We want those things. Or even worse, we want dad to hide and we try to find him. And when dad is hiding, when you're that father in the closet and the kids are all hunting for you and they know when they find you that you're going to jump out yelling and they're right, all right. going to scream and run. And <laughs> so you know he's in the closet, but you, but he's not going to come out unless you poke him or. Yeah. Or and he's not going to be, yeah. you found me. It's going to be a, you know, giant growl and a jump and the kids are all going to scatter laughing and running. And that's the point. That's, yeah, that's right. the goal. And it's overwhelmingly because kids have so little they can control. They have so little power. They are vulnerable to so much. And you have to build up courage. Right. Like you, and you have to build up courage in games and in stories. Yeah. And you have, to, you have to build up bravery. And how do you overcome your fear? How do you control your fear? How do you keep the reins on it and still make the right choice? And so a kid who's 10 is sitting there already able to hang on to their fear in a hide and seek situation right. while a kid who's four cannot. Yeah, those are and, indispensable yeah. areas of training yep. the, to read stories, to play hide and seek, those sort of things. And we want that. We right. crave it because we crave uh, getting stronger. We right. crave being less powerless. Yeah. We crave uh, no longer being the lowest on the pecking order of prey items. You know, yeah. we, we want to grow up and be strong and be heroes. And that means grappling with fear, which yeah, is a similar why feeling. we write scary stories. There That's right. Go. Okay. So a similar feeling, that chance to launch yourself into the void. I think jumping off docks has been that for my sons mm. at that moment of like, you know that you're going to be, you could just stand on the edge of the dock and not jump and you'll be fine. Right. But then the dad saying, hey, you got to go. You, you got to jump off the dock. And for that, that moment of just being able to take your fear and do that thing, does, is fiction doing something similar? Is that what a scary story does? face the fear or is it more just an alternate way of experiencing that emotion it's a, it's a vicarious it is i think it's alternate way i think it's a vicarious way of journeying through somebody else who stood on the diving board and went yeah and like getting that vicarious that vicarious experience of oh this this is what it's like to go to send it when you know everything looks grim everything's bad yeah and the reason why slightly older readers have you know slightly scarier stories for slightly older readers is because their tolerances are growing right and then there's a point at which just horror is pointless i i don't watch horror films either i don't read yeah, horror stories i'm well, really the, not the, actually interested yeah. 
because once you've grown, you've grown. Like, okay, I'm ready to I'm ready to fight monsters. I don't mind things that are suspenseful or terrifying, but there's a you know, and even even like original historical horror is not that horror compared to where the genre has gone now. Yeah, the the, Gore. the whole demonic movie yeah. thing where right. uh plates will shake and and curtains sure. shiver. That doesn't I don't get that. Like if a strong guy came into your house and picked up your coffee cup and said, "Ooh, I'm going to drop it." <laughs> and it falls on the floor, you would be like, "That's dumb. That's not a sign of your strength." I've never thought those demon movies where, you know, Satan is shaking your house. Like, why? I have a great that, idea for a, a comedy now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a haunting where the ghost is Bill Murray. Yes. And he, and he comes in and tries to do spooky things like rattle your plates, but you can see him doing it. <laughs> you heard it here first. And he, and he does a little howl, a little. Yeah. Right, and, right. He, and then he like huffs and puffs on the curtains and you go, ah. I walked in on, uh, my dad was actually watching just a, just a, he wasn't watching the whole thing, but he was flipping through the channels with, uh, my young son sitting next to him and they were watching, um, paranormal activity, one of those things. And so I just walked in, I said, what are you, what are you doing? He's like, I was just on the, you know, I'm just checking it out. And, uh, there was a scene where I think it was a, the, the Ouija board and it was just moving around without seeing anything. And, and I think it even just caught fire, just this little sissy little flame right and uh and all the characters were just terrified and i just thought that's so silly i don't <laughs> that's not scary i don't get it <laughs> what's scary is your dad hiding in a closet that's yeah. right <laughs> that's true um well yeah so what is or demon invasion what <laughs> what is the most scary? if you could pick a moment from each of your books that is the most scary mm. do you got it can you can you give me one of those the most scary. I, I know. Or just one where you think, man, what I got the, What this. were those fingerling soldiers with the... Oh, yeah. That finger, was creepy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't like finger that. Lanes. <laughs> finger the finger lanes. The finger lanes. I didn't yeah. like that at all. The finger... Yeah. This is... So, I have characters in the Cupboards trilogy yeah. called the finger lanes. Yeah. And this is based on a nightmare of mine. Oh. Okay. Uh, where, as a kid, there was this guy who worked at the gas station who wore a man bun in my dream. <laughs> man buns can be scary yeah they're terrifying (laughs) and all i and all the neighbor kids were always creeped out by this guy (laughs) and we all thought he needed to get rid of the man bun and we didn't know you know we heckled him and we'd go into the gas station and buy candy and i'll run out real fast because he was so creepy behind the counter and then on a dare this is all the dream it's a really weird scenario and so this is a dream this is a dream oh okay so i had a dream of myself and like a neighborhood kid entourage (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> terrified of a guy who worked at the gas station with a man bun and then it all came down to uh, a dare from my cohorts in that dream to undo his man bun to grab it and pull his hair down <laughs> and so while some friends were taking candy over the counter i snuck in the back and jumped over the counter and grabbed his hair and pulled it loose to discover that there was a finger on the back of his head <laughs> and there was what a finger God. that had grown off the back of his skull and he wore the man bun to hide it and that was wow. the most terrifying i can yeah, actually still yeah. to <laughs> this moment i actually have a very vivid memory of what it feels like to grab a <laughs> to grab a finger on the back of a man's skull <laughs> and, and and it just kind of curled in reaction like when i grabbed it it just kind of <laughs> yeah it kind of yeah. That's that's that could be a Japanese body horror. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. easy. So anyway, I used I I wondered what that was, and then created the finger lanes. Who are these guys that the Mm -hmm. the witches put 
you know, this witch queen has put fingers on the back of their heads, enabling her to control them. Uh, and that's kind of the, the attachment. If you cut it off, they all wear man buns, of course. Yeah. Uh, if you cut it off, then that connection has gone, but they keep it hidden. So anyway, that kind of stuff, like weird, creepy stuff, like stuff that's out of place or unnerving or wrong, uh, broken. I find that a lot more, well, creepy. I find creepy more compelling than scary. Yeah. I mean, like big slimy monsters with many mouths not scary to me you know but the first quiet place the idea of like no you you actually all you have to do is hold still and be quiet and they can't find you that stress of be quiet you know is uh that's great i mean that's a yeah. really yeah. solid pressure cooker i really enjoy that film but i will say that if all the big slimy terrifying moments in that movie watching it in the theater the thing that got the audience the most, the entire audience groaned, gasped, responded was when she stepped on a nail. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's like with a bare foot, she stepped on a nail and everybody and was it. like, oh, oh, and like We've there all are, seen Home Alone. We know where yeah, that sort of thing are, goes. But the thing yeah. is funny is like something that belongs in a gag film, like mm. Home Alone, like, you know, yuck, yuck, yuck. Here it is in Quiet Place. And we have aliens killing everyone. And you have to be silent. And the thing that stresses everybody out the most is stepping on a nail. Well, I know what that feels like. Right. I don't know what it's like to be dismembered by a exactly. weird alien thing. So, so yeah. that connectivity is, yeah. is big. Yeah. Uh, I'd say this probably the scariest thing that I've written is a is a sequence in cupboards for this reason which was henry york waking up to see a cat sitting on his chest watching him sleep you know this little black cat and then when he knocks the cat off the cat gets dragged back through his wall by a very fine thread around its neck that is one that i've you know i think has affected a lot of people then connected to that is when he comes in and he finds his cousin unconscious with her arm in in the cupboard up to her shoulder and she grab he he reaches in and grabs her arm and finds a hand gripping her wrist, pulling yeah. her through the wall. And he has to peel its you know fingers off, and then it grabs his wrist and he's getting pulled into the wall. And he has like a little kid on the playground has to shed his hand back into his shirt and loses his shirt through the wall. You know, it's like slides his arm in his sleeve. And spoiler alert: we didn't alert the. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> it's it's old enough. They should have read. Yeah, that one. come on, come on. It's a finished series. So. Yeah. Right. Well, also, grown ups shouldn't care about spoilers, Remy. That's oh, something right. else we should talk about. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, okay, well, those that... are those are the two. How about you, Remy? Yeah. I, you know the uh, so in strays the um, maleficorum is that uh, that heart beehive. Thing that the demons are using to spoiler yeah spo uh, you you started it <laughs> spoiler you started it uh and it was uh you know so so the uh, rodney climbs underneath the house and finds this this uh palpitating structure that was uh the creepy thing i think that was the hive heart yeah, the hive heart yeah yeah um and then you have that uh that scene too where uh he wakes up in the night also yes, similar right but instead of the cat on his chest this time he's got something crawling up and grabbing his feet yeah. from the bottom so that's I a think good one as chewing well chewing on his feet even yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, grabbing his feet with his mouth <laughs> <laughs> you're right biting his feet well, well you know so nibbling <laughs> this gets back to kind of the core of things um so it was uh, broadly inspired by screw tape letters and the older i get the more that is truly horrifying. Like that is a scary, <laughs> scary story. 
yeah uh, you're, you're not supposed to do this and i know you've had various encounters with um angry moms and whatnot but i, I had the, the only time and she wasn't that angry really what she uh she just implied that i delighted in demonic evil things yeah. satan yeah and you're not <laughs> supposed to respond but i i felt since she was just assuming that i delighted in uh evil i uh I re- uh, had to explain some of uh, where this came from, and you know, I just to me the dismantling of a of a man's soul, which is what's going on in Screw Tape. That's what they're yeah. scheming against. That's truly terrifying. You know, to to have um, someone get hurt, break bones. Yeah, that's ultimately not as scary to me as, as rotting out from the inside. Right. Yeah. The, the perversion of something good. Yeah. I I always think back on the distinction between, and I don't know if this holds across everything, but terror and horror, with horror being the presence of something creepy and terror being the knowledge of something truly terrifying that's coming, but not present. And uh, and I think that's kind of helpful for explaining why slasher films just miss something, because they only have the presence of something nasty in it. There's I, a phrase I have coined, and so I'm going to claim it right here is vice tourism Mm. and when you are getting to experience the knowledge of evil that you know the knowledge of good and evil is the thing that we wanted that we we ate the fruit and we're all fallen and broken as a result of it the knowledge of good and evil is still destructive to us and knowledge of good too like knowledge of good and of evil and when people really want to dive in deep and get to watch what it's like like what is what is cannibalism like? What is it like when you have to you know cut off somebody else's arm? What is you know this whole Saw franchise? These, right. these ethical scenarios where you have to dismember each other. What is it? What is that like? Is kind of it's a form of vice tourism where you can you get to gleefully participate and say, oh, that's disgusting, that's gross, that's you know, and I I file that all under the same general category as porn. Yeah, it's obscenity. It, that yeah. sort of thing should be off yeah. scene. Yeah, exactly. These are the things. These are the things that you should not be watching, looking at, and so on. And unfortunately, we've created a culture where people, when they see something horrible, get out their phones. Hmm. You know, that's they don't intervene. They don't take action. They want to film it, and they want to film it to share it to show other people to like because to watch to spectate the horrible is is kind of the goal. Yeah, I think tourism. so I think it's I think the wrong kind of scary book, the wrong kind of scary story is gleeful in the awful, is gleeful in obscenity, gleeful in things that should be off screen. The right kind of scary story is emboldening. It yeah. sh- it holds up and it gives you not vice tourism, it gives you courage tourism. It gives you, you know, a vicarious taste of what it's like to to man up. Yeah, frequently those things are are used to justify, well, no, I'm just revealing sin, but there's right. a, there's a big difference between putting on something that should be left off the screen and exposing the wicked nature or or the dangerous yeah. element so yeah it's it's um a touristic mentality and can it's it's touristic in two different ways one is to be the killer to be the hunter to be the monster but the other side is to be devoured to be consumed to to give in and lose not to overcome yeah, uh, I mean that goes back to E. Michael Jones and Monsters uh-huh. from the Id and yep. explaining why we like or why 
so many horror slasher films have that extreme sexual aspect as well and how yeah. sin when taken to its full potential equals death that they're they're connected they're on the same spectrum yeah, yeah there's the the uh the standard pagan view is being passive toward the world, not taking responsibility. This is why you had the medieval ages when uh, they get the Iliad and the Odyssey. They see these as great adventure stories, these Roman stories, these romances, because um, they, to a degree, they're misreading what's happening. Uh, Odysseus does not want to fight monsters. He's not, he's just trying to go home. He just wants to be home. If he can skip all of this stuff, he, he would. Please. Uh, yeah. But a Christian sees that and like, oh, wait, 20 years. that dragon is not supposed to be here. I'm going to go get that, right? I mean, that's hmm. we're taking responsibility for the world. We go get that thing. Uh, whereas pagans are like, that's just how the world is, right? I no. mean, if, if you're out in the, in the water, you know, trying to fight the waves from hitting the, the, uh, the shore, you're, you're an idiot. Like, what are you doing? That's what happens, right? Yep. So if you're a pagan and you just see evil as a natural part of this world, why would you fight a monster? Why would you fight an ogre? That's just how things are, right? But uh, Christians don't see that the same way. So, Yeah, we talked about that last time with giants are meant to be taken down. That's the goal. Yeah, yeah. You're supposed to take, get rid of them all. It's personal. Yeah. It's an ancient blood feud between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And, mm. you know, this is... Where, where do you fit in? What do you do? Which, which side are you on and how do you respond? And I think a big part of what I try to do is to reduce the importance of survival. Like the, the Darwinian framework of survival is the ultimate good. And obviously right. self-preservation is fine and we all want to survive and everything else. But when we go into a scenario where it's really worth fighting, like this is a battle that must be had, like our own survival is not the goal. The we goal need to is, learn to die well. Yep. Yeah. The goal is to win. Everybody's going to die. Everybody's going to die. Everybody's going to get a death scene. Every single little kid who ever reads one of our books is going to get a death scene. And the yeah, question you is- you want to die on the diving board. <laughs> yeah. Hanging on. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exa exactly. And it is, it is really funny because you think about these, these petty things. Like a little kid who won't jump off the diving board just won't do it. You as a parent are sitting there watching this thinking, he's trying to ruin his life. Like, if he can't do this, he literally is going to suck for the rest of his life. <laughs> it's like, this is because this is what he's going to do every time. Like, every time he's on a bigger and bigger diving board, he's on the 15-year-old version. He's on the 18-year-old version. He's on the 24-year-old version. Like, they, they, I get down on my knees and I grab onto the diving board and I start to inch backwards. That's what I do. <laughs> and so, it's really funny when, like, we look at our kids and think, yeah, that we'll make sure that gets you know, we're going to overcome that. It's not like it's urgent right now. Stop ruining your life. But you have to find ways to increase their courage. Yeah, you just, you just think this kid needs help. He needs more courage food. Yeah. We got we to gotta get his, his boldness up because I will not, for his sake, I'm not going to allow this. I'm, I am not going to, as a father, allow this to continue. And it's, that's the nicest thing you can do. For a little boy, for a little girl who's paralyzed by fear, is be like, you know what? We're going to stop being paralyzed by fear, and I'm going to help you through this. Yeah. Um, I actually, I've had this conversation a lot because I have written a couple scary things, but as uh, we were just discussing, not gleefully scary. It's not scary for the sake of staring at something awful or taboo and trying to bring things on screen that should not be on screen. But I've had enough conversations. I eventually just wrote an article, like why I write scary stories for kids. And it really went like it went and went and went. And I oh, was that through the Atlantic? 
Yeah. And it's the conversation since then. Uh, there are people who are grateful. They're like, okay, this clarified. There are people who say, I've always known that I, I want my kids reading these kinds of stories, stories with peril, stories with personal jeopardy and risk, but I've not been able to explain why to my mom, my, the grandmother. Right. I've not been able to explain why to my, my sister who only allows them to read Anna Green Gables. You know, that, that, which is a great series, by the way, <laughs> in, its <own laughs> way. In, it, in, its, in its own way. I mean, it's, we could trash it a little bit, <laughs> but, it, but I it's, haven't um, read it enough to trash it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got so, five boys. Sorry. It hasn't come up. Yeah. It's um, basically that we're trying to give kids protein is what it comes down to. Like no. give them friends Can who I are great something? examples. Yeah. I, I just saw this on Facebook, which is funny that we're talking about it. New York Times sharing an article of a mom who was at the beach watching other pair of parents try to get their kid to jump off the rock. And this mom was saying, what should I have done? These parents were bullying their son to jump off this rock. Right. And the comments just the polar opposite advice of what everybody just heard <laughs> of just saying, you should have gone over and told them, laid into them for bullying a child. Yeah. Kids who are harassed never grow up to do brave things. And uh, these parents are just bullies. They probably don't even know they're doing it. And I thought that is so interesting to hear that the entire cultural perspective is that it is wrong to force your kid to do something they're scared of. <laughs> yeah. well, we don't even, the, 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 the blessing of, of teaching your children bodily discipline, we just, that's not something we value anymore. Yep. Well, I have the ability to make a decision. Yeah. And then to make myself do it, even when I don't feel like it. That feeling and even when, when your my stomach, feelings change. Yeah, yeah. When your stomach curdles that little bit, it happens to every adult too. Yep. You have that and it's, it's not just in, in the areas of fear. It's a, it, it shows up every day in areas of hard work. Yeah. Where it's like, it's, it's just something we don't feel like doing. Yeah. And it's something we know we ought to do, or it's something that I felt like doing before when I was just objective about tomorrow's tasks. Yeah, and parents but, are, can be so helpful in that. I remember uh, sitting on the top of my roof, I climbed up there, I was seven or eight, sitting on the edge, trying to get up that gumption to, to push off. I, there, was a, there was a sidewalk underneath and then there was some bushes and I would have to clear both of those barriers to land in the grass. And I probably sat up there for 30 minutes and then my mom came out and she said, time to eat. That was, that's what I need. I just needed that trigger. And, and you know, it was helpful. I, I did it myself, but my mom, you know, provided the incentive of dinner. And so Food. Yeah. Uh, that's what parents need to be doing is, you know, if their kids just need that, that little push, that's, that's what they need to be doing. Any, any kid who cannot make themselves do the right thing when they don't feel like it. Right. If you can only do what you feel like doing, then you're doomed. Like, because ultimately a hundred times a day, we all have to step up and do the thing we don't feel like doing because it needs done. And it's, and our own feelings have nothing to do with it. They're just, yeah. So this is be bigger than fear. Yeah, it is. So you think fear is a powerful feeling, right? Like it's a really powerful one, but there's a lot of feelings that dominate people that people are enslaved to. And they have, to, they have to be able to make the right decision, factoring out their feelings. And we are an age that cannot do that. Mm, we absolutely, yeah. like more than anything else, we're slaves to, f to our feelings. How we, what we feel like doing, how we feel like doing it, who we feel like being uh, is ultimately our, our master. So if you're scared, like, but you honestly, like this is the kind of thing we'd put in a kid's book. You have to go back for your sister. Like you got out, you're terrified. You got out of the house, whatever was going on in there, 
you got out, you get to the front sidewalk, you turn around and realize, you know, Rosie's still inside. <laughs> what, you know, like that moment in a kid's book, like that's the kind of scary I want to write mm. where there's, it's like, you know, it really doesn't matter what you feel like there's a right thing to do and there's a wrong thing to do and like get your butt back inside. Yeah. <laughs> and those are so helpful to see. So, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to, to think. Oh, if I don't take out the trash now, it's not a big deal. I don't feel like it now. But, you know, if you don't, you got to get those reps in. And mm -hmm. uh, starting off with, you know, the rep of just knowing I got to go get my sister. That, that's, that's an easy one. Easy. It's obvious. But Top you, of the eye chart. Yeah, but you, but you got to do those reps before you can get to the, the really intense stuff like taking out the garbage. That's no fun. Nobody <laughs> wants to do that. Changing the diaper. Well, that one you take you want, a lot you want of to reps. Be, basically, but you want to be in a place as a character, as a human being, where the right thing is something you can just do. Yeah, like it doesn't take a whole lot of girding up your loins. You just do it. You just do the right thing. That's mm. you know a hundred diving boards a day, and you don't hesitate and talk yourself into it. You just go. You're just you're just doing the thing. Yeah, I think uh, a good example of this dishonesty can become like that where you tell little lies yeah. and then over time the lie the truth becomes harder and harder to tell yeah you get good you get good at what you practice yeah so if you just put in a lot of reps <laughs> some people for, practice for piano lying. some people practice <laughs> lots yeah. of little dishonesty <laughs> right and then all of a sudden you get to a big one and there'll be that moment where you think you know what i've got i've got myself comfortable i've waded into the to the the white lies pool and all of a sudden <laughs> you know we gotta we gotta rip this off at the root and and get back to repentance and start over with the truth on everything you know so the <laughs> default because that moment where you realize like you're talking about that moment where you realize uh oh i have been training myself so yep. that all of a sudden it becomes a battle to tell the truth yep. that's a moment where you've realized you've been catechizing yourself all wrong yeah. with your own desires rather than and actually even there that's a perfect example what is think about the visceral sensations of hiding in a closet when somebody's hunting for you, the visceral sensation of having to go open that closet, knowing that, you know, you're eight and, and your large father is going to yell at you and chase <laughs> you down the hall and you've got to open that door. Like you're doing that. And then you get to the sensation of, I have to call four different people and apologize for having lied. That's embarrassing. Yeah. Like that's just embarrassing. How, how could I have done that? And so it's easier just to like, that's like, there's a visceral, there's an absolutely like, a visceral deterrent to apologize, to confess your sins, to seek forgiveness. And it's, we just don't feel like doing it. We don't feel like yeah. owning our mistakes. We want to make excuses. We want other people to forget about it. But that sensation, especially for somebody who sh is old enough to know better, like to have to text a friend, call a friend and say, hey, correction. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, this is, this is such a horrible feeling. It's disgusting. Like, yeah. this is like, I have to eat a plate of slugs. Um, and it all starts with fiction. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> right. yes, you do have to eat that plate of slugs. You got to do it. And this is incidentally, side note, just to throw a little shade. This is one of my biggest complaints about some uh, popular stories where friends never make things right, where they sin, they lie, they get mad at each other, and then they just come back and say, hey, let's be friends again. But they don't ever say, you know, I apologize. Please forgive me for yeah. having been an extreme turd. Yeah, that that doesn't happen. Yeah, I've I've stopped. I, I caught myself. You know, when you have your kids playing with someone else's kids, and there's a minor scuffle over a toy, and and the the other parent 
says, oh, oh, apologize for stealing or, you know, apologize for doing this. And my my first inclination was, oh, it's not a big deal. And, right. you know, my kid Don't needs to share. And, and I realized I just need to stop. I, that's, yep. that's, again, one of those little reps. Make him eat just, the pill. Yeah. <laughs> Make him eat the slug. I want, say, this I should not I want your child and my child to be accustomed to saying, I'm sorry, forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. And we can't get there unless yeah. we're practicing that every day for minor things. So if you have to go down into the basement with the flashlight, you have to go up into the attic in the middle of the night to find out what's making the noise. You also have to go to your sister and say, I was wrong. Yeah. yeah. And just that, especially for brothers, like my, at least my two boys, those words were the scariest, <laughs> the scariest, hardest words to ever say. It was just to say, I was wrong. And then I started adding, you were right. <laughs> Like, like just, Uh-oh. I was wrong. You were so right. bullying is, parents. Let's talk about that again. That's <laughs> oh, terrible. If we're gonna, you know what? We're not recording this, right? There's, there's, there was one moment where my daughter was refusing to eat her hamburger, and uh, she was little. And I told her, this, "This is when you know you're a veteran parent, and you're like your heart is hard." <laughs> like, That's certain, a good thing. To a certain, <laughs> yeah, hardened to a certain degree, the right degree. Hopefully, she was refusing to eat her hamburger. She wouldn't do it. I told her, I was like, no, you have to eat. You got to eat your hamburger. Sorry. And she just decided she wasn't going to. So she took a tiny little bite and made herself gag and throw up on it. And I took that thing to the sink and I rinsed it off <laughs> and I slapped it back on her plate. And like, you're not leaving the table until this thing's gone. You want to talk about a bullying parent? <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's like plenty of people could get on Twitter and be outraged. It's like, yeah. well, because she needs food, she needs to not die. She had to eat. Yeah, you're stopping her from dying. <laughs> yeah, I want her to continue to grow and to be healthy and to be strong. Yeah, one of the one of the most influential moments for me was uh, there was a, a, an adult who was a jerk to me, and uh, and I didn't respond. I didn't respond badly, but I didn't respond correctly. Like he he yelled at me to do something, and I kind of, and I guess that's responding badly. But he <laughs> he had nothing to do with me at that moment. Um, and so I, I just let him know that you're not the boss of me at this moment. And, uh, so anyway, he, he of course spoke to my dad. I spoke to my dad actually immediately. I was like, this guy's going to come after you. This is what he did. <laughs> and my dad just said, you're, you're right. He was absolutely responding poorly. Yep. 100%. He was wrong. He should apologize. But <laughs> guess what you get to do? And I knew this guy was not going to apologize to me once I apologized to him. But dad was like, doesn't matter. You apologize. So, of course, you know, the next day I saw him, he is just, he knows my dad is going to make me apologize. So I get up there and he's just as smug as he can be. And, and I apologize and I wait there and he just kind of laughs. And I thought, oh, that, oh, that was the worst. But I, I always remember that. Yeah. <laughs> he's in hell now. <laughs> There is a judge. Uh, he, there he is actually, a judge. Years later, we'll, we'll end the, the story happily. He, years later, he came back and apologized for just generally being awful to me my entire childhood. So, <laughs> a happy ending. A there happy you go. ending. Sort of. Well, okay. Yeah. You guys have told all these great parenting ones. One of my favorite ones when I was a new dad with a two-year-old, I was making him jump into a pit at the park. It was like a big pit. And I told him I'd catch him. But instead of jumping, he just stepped off. So he fell straight down face first into the side of the hole. And I didn't catch him because he just fell straight down. And that was one of my moments of 
<laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, it's only <laughs> bullying if you laugh afterwards. I, I think that's the rule. I was like, <laughs> Let me help you clean the sand out of your mouth, my guy. We're going to move on with another jump later. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, that's a good uh, blessing for him. Yeah. The worst. Yeah. So, yeah, scary stories help you confess your sins. That's what we got to, right? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Can, face the music. Face the music in all scenarios. Can we fight for a moment? Sure. Do you want to fight? Yeah. Are I'm we... happy to fight. Then I have to run. Okay. Well, I'm going to retreat this rapidly. Can be, uh, this can be the deep cuts. Uh, the, the... Uh, so, one of the things I've always had against you and your dad, and I've talked to your dad about this. I'm not blindsided. The the dragon in the garden stuff. Just just me. Just blindsiding just me. Blindsiding just blindsiding Just blindsiding you. I'm yeah. just, oh, I, I'm the The moderator. dragon in the garden stuff. I, you, now you're full on, it's a dragon, not a serpent. Sure. Okay. Sure. All right. Yeah. Well, I just feel like the, the, there's a, there's a adventure story that you're flattening when you do that. Well, here's the good news. Okay. Incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out so, we don't have to, fu- no. <laughs> Yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't matter to me how big that serpent was. Okay. Because we're talking about I think we're talking about a spiritual serpent. We're not talking about a, a boa constrictor or a garter snake with a voice. We're talking yeah. about a fallen angel who is here to vandalize. And the ser- this is the same serpent that Christ will crush the head of. So the devil. Well, I think the there's a difference between how a serpent fights and how a dragon fights. And initially- and I, Are I, dragons I, not serpents to you? Well, I take the, there's, there's a different word for those two terms in, in the Bible. So I say yes. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna conflate it all together. So the seed of the serpent is like a leathery egg well, laid in a small so the, hole in the grass. Yeah, so the, there's It's the, a dragon, Remy, it's a dragon. There's I don't the care how big the, the dragon is, his power is his lies. No, it's it's deception first. This is how Satan yeah. fights. It's deceit first, and then when that doesn't work, violence. So in the garden, it's deceit, and then at the end, we get violence. Sure. And I think what you have in so and you what have, we should have had is violence at the beginning, and we didn't. Right. No, I I agree. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, yeah. So the the sea monsters that are that are mentioned on day five. That's the uh, that would be where the dragons are, and what's interesting is. Those dragons are not included under the Dominion Mandate. Uh, initially, uh, they're left out of that list. So man has to grow into the dragon crushing role. So or into scuba diving. Or into the, scuba. Uh, I think the, the serpent is a spiritual serpent, not a biological serpent, not the kind of serpent that went on the ark. This is a, you know, I think this is a fallen angel. And yeah, starts with deception, moves to violence. Okay. The deception's there. I'm going to say we agree. Adam should have gotten violent. I agree. He didn't get violent. He committed suicide instead to go with Eve because he was a wuss, like we all are. So it's not to say that, he, I mean, he's just the classic man. And I watch, I watch husbands do this all the time, commit the sin of Adam all the time, where their wife genuinely believes something, like is deceived, and they don't have the backbone to say, that's false. They, they can see through it or they know it's not true or their buddies all are like, come on, man. And like, yeah, but I'm just going to go along with this. Like, I'm just going to follow my wife in this. I'm not going to actually be the protector from deception at all. I'm not even going to even consider that role. So I thought you were going to object to the idea of Adam and Eve being separate in the garden. That's usually the place where people object. But as, as far as in 
the so do you believe that adam wasn't present there is that what yeah he was not present Hmm. when she was deceived but they were in the garden obviously they're both in the garden but he was not there while she was deceived then uh once she was what do you get out of that i don't know what's that what what do you get gained from saying that he knew she just she was deceived correct once he got there okay yeah Yeah, i I see him as committing high-handed sin so he was in rebellion when in the fall uh yeah but before he ate the fruit uh no eating the fruit was his high-handed sin and so a lot of a lot of people read the story or a lot of people read the story in a way that adam has already fallen all right, no, you know, because he, he has to stand sit, there he as an abdicating. There, he's yeah. just a he's a husband who stand there listening to these lies, watching his wife get tricked by these lies, watching her swallow these lies, and uh, uh, it, and then uh, watching her pick the fruit and eat it. In order to do that, he has to already be a pretty significant head case of a husband. He has to already. So you're protecting Adam's reputation there. No, That's I'm nice trying to preserve you. the narrative of of the okay. moment of his fall. Okay. You know, so the moment of his fall came when he decided to eat the fruit and ate the fruit, as opposed to he was already deeply flawed and broken. And this is just a cherry on top of the milkshake. I do agree with you that the weapon of the dragon there is deception, obviously, but he's not a dragon coming into the garden, knocking trees down with his tail. He's not. I think he's beautiful. I think he's glorious. And he comes in with lies. And so he's not coming in with violence. I don't think the dragon's coming in with violence. I think the dragon's obviously coming in with deception. Adam should have brought the violence. The dragon brings, when deception doesn't work with the second Adam, violence comes. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's all I wanted to preserve yeah. is kind of the, there's, a, there's, a, there's that uh, you know, increase in difficulty moving from serpents who are in our domain. Uh, initially, yep. they're beasts of the field, and then the serpent is demoted to a creeping thing. Well, those are put under the the foot of man and dragons. We have to grow into. Doesn't doesn't but the I, leg I, curse though mean that it had to have legs of some sort? God says you're going to crawl on your belly. Cobras can get up and move around a little bit, not being on their belly. That's what I assume. But if you want to do some, <laughs> I think honestly, I think thing, that basically, in order to make the story all work, to pick up all the threads, this is a fallen angel. Man was made a little lower than the angels, but man was going to judge the angels and. That's where this rebellion came, and that's where the heavenly host was outraged. A third of them got thrown down, and I think that this dragon shows up with lies, not violence, but with you keep a very, a very glorious creature, but shows up with lies, Serpent. deceives Eve. Adam, his, his real, the root of his sin is idolatry of Eve, and he suicides here. You know, he would rather die with her than... Oh, that's too much paradise loss for me. Which I love, Paradise Law. So he does that, and then later on, the second Adam comes and does, in fact, judge angels. So I don't think we, I think you're exactly right in terms of that fold. Adam should have leveled judgment on angels right there. Like this was an angelic being, and he should have sat in judgment over this angelic being. Instead, he did not, and we were subservient to them for a very long time, and under their thumbs for a very long time until the second Adam came. And in fact, judged angels, and we judge angels through him and crushed that serpent's head. And I think it's that serpent's head got crushed, which was not a tree python. So I have to actually go because I'm supposed to be on a phone call, a different phone yeah. call. I cool. could just take that phone call on this podcast. 
this has been <laughs> this has been really uh, deep cuts. Yeah. This this has been really fun, Remy. Yeah, man. Yeah. Even though true. you tried to blindside me with a completely slanderous trying attack. to and I and I actually oh, like, no, I wasn't that was trying to. I did. One. I succeeded. <laughs> I meant to text him that question. No, that would have been I, we should have another one. That would have been fun to really yeah. talk through. I think the I did so years ago I talked to your dad and did the, the and he just you know his you know sort of thing, which could mean <laughs> but he didn't write the book dear he foolish he child write, he didn't write the dragon in the garden no but he still says that sometime that's probably because well, it fault. is one i mean it just is a dragon uh, i mean you're wrong i think i think if you want to i'm gonna talk, go with the bible if you're talking I'm just about gonna stick with the bible. okay i would say it's, it's, it's a serpent and that serpent happened okay. to have been an angelic being with six wings also, i'll take a little bit of paradise lost there a little bit, yeah. Okay. The a side, a side. There's order. very a where very, he becomes the serpent. There's very little. There's a very little bit of paradise lost that I will take. There's not much, not much, but some. Yeah, not Milton's hair. I'm, I'm yeah. yeah. We differ. <laughs> His curly where... Adam's curly locks. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. it's been very fun, Randy. Yeah. Yeah. Keep yeah. writing scary stories. Cool. Good. Thank stuff. you for having me. If you enjoyed this week's episode, check out Remy Wilkins' book, Strays, at cannonballbooks.com.